Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here today on The Communication Architect. In each episode, we build up the communication competencies that empower you to develop greater emotional health and relational resilience, essential skills for both personal and organizational leadership. We'll unpack some practical applications around the four main spheres of communication, connecting those with stories of transformation that will inspire you to achieve personal and social change. In season two, we're discussing communication strategies that will make you a more effective communicator in group and organizational settings like the marketplace and the ministry. I talked in the last episode about how important it is for us as organizational leaders during the COVID crisis to model healthy emotion regulation. So if you missed that one, be sure to go back to season two, episode nine. This week, we're dealing with some new normals, as many of us are both working and educating from home in the midst of the new realities of COVID-19. How do we create value in both the home front and the new virtual frontiers of the workplace? How do we stay emotionally close from a social distance? As we'll see in today's episode, healthy, positive, strategic communication is the key to our success in our organizations and in our families. Let's use today's teaching to build the scaffolding we need to become a communication architect. When my husband Adrian and I first met, we had a long distance relationship for two years, a very long distance relationship. He lived in England and I lived in Miami. That's 4,426 miles apart. There were no cell phones, no email, and the internet had not yet been invented. Let that sink in for a moment. It was a dollar a minute to talk on the phone, and phone meant a landline connected to a wall. So it was a very different world in many aspects. Adrian and I had to come up with creative ways to sustain a level of relationship, of interpersonal connection, and to create value for one another. We also had to create opportunity for self-disclosure. If you remember from our earlier episodes on friendship, there's absolutely zero chance of a true friendship or relationship developing without that reciprocal demonstration of self-disclosure. We had to learn to develop emotional closeness in a socially distant environment. So we wrote letters. Lots and lots of letters. And those letters help to facilitate emotional closeness in a socially distant environment. You know, many of us are experiencing change right now. Our worlds are a little upside down. Many are working from home and educating for home and For all but the 2.5 million people who were homeschooling before the crisis, that's a whole new world for over 55 million kids and their parents at the time of this broadcast. That means we have to learn new ways of recognizing others for their gifts and talents, even at home, and we have to create new ways of relating to and valuing others from a distance. Remember the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Being able to respond well in times of change and uncertainty are a hallmark of maturity and emotion regulation. And those around us are looking to us as leaders and communicators to help them navigate these growth opportunities. What we do trickles down to others. The standards we set, the expectations we hold, our momentary interpersonal exchanges, even seemingly trivial ones, all interact to communicate value or the lack thereof to those around us. As we've talked about in past episodes, everybody needs recognition to varying degrees. And as we saw in some of our earlier research, many people in today's workforce are not feeling valued or connected or engaged. Now, it remains to be seen whether the current national quarantine will strengthen or weaken those existing emotions. But with the previous epidemic of loneliness we were seeing prior to COVID-19, it seems plausible that those statistics could be further exacerbated if we don't act wisely into the situation. That's where you come in. 
This is a time for intervention. There are definitely some proactive strategies we can take to help nurture the human spirit and provide emotional closeness in an era of social distancing. Remember from an earlier podcast that 82% of employees right now said they don't feel their supervisors recognize them enough for their contributions to the company. And that in that study, it had been an average of 50 days, almost two months since most workers had felt they'd been recognized by anyone. With this new era of social distancing, we want to be even more mindful of helping those around us feel valued. The late American steel magnate Charles Schwab once said, the way to develop the best that is in a man is by appreciation and encouragement. So how do we do that in the current environment? This is a great time to use what's in your hand. What creative what creative ideas are lying dormant within you right now? What communication skills can link you to others in a new and innovative way? What's in your hand right now that you can use to strengthen your family, your community, your organization? How can we stay emotionally close from a social distance? Let's look at three proactive ways that we can help increase our connection in an era of social distancing. We can focus up, we can check in, and we can shout out. First, let's focus up. We talked in the last episode about the damaging effects of fear. As leaders, we need to operate in optimism, in faith. Faith is not a feeling. It's a mindset. If we're going to recognize and develop the value in others, that's going to begin with the right mindset, and that is a mindset of gratitude. Luke 6.45 says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we believe about people and their value will overflow from the wellspring of our hearts. Our beliefs leak out into our behaviors. The ability to recognize and value others begins with one common characteristic, and that is gratitude. Our teenage daughter jumps up on the countdown to Thanksgiving about 40 days before the holiday begins. She sets this Thanksgiving counter on her phone. Did you even know that existed? I did not. And every day she faithfully records the remaining days in the countdown on a little whiteboard in her room. 32 days till Thanksgiving, just 21 days till Thanksgiving. As a parent, it makes my heart glad to see how much my kids love our holiday traditions. In our home, Thanksgiving means an opportunity to share in the whole day of cooking, talking, spending time together with no pressure from the clock, kind of like it is right now. You know, the clock has slowed down and it's become less of a driving force, a taskmaster. In the same way, Thanksgiving for us is a time of nurturing relationships, reflecting on the triumphs and challenges of the past year, and taking a momentary pause from the busyness of life. It's a day of teenagers expressing thankfulness for one another's friendship. I mean, there are few moments in life that are more moving for a parent. How do we turn that beautiful practice of Thanksgiving into a lifestyle? How do we make that leap? Dr. Robert Emmons, a psychology professor at the University of California, Davis, who's actually considered to be the world's top scientific expert in the field of gratitude studies, says in his book, Thanks, that gratitude is an acknowledgement or awareness of the good in our lives. And it's been shown, he he says, to increase energy, to promote better sleep, to increase happiness. He says that it requires recognition and acknowledgement. It requires intellectually, willingly, and emotionally creating and maintaining an awareness of our thankfulness. Gratitude, he says, plays a critical role in human happiness and can measurably change people's lives. 
In his work with the University of Southern California's Shoah Foundation Institute for Visual History, Dr. Glenn Fox found that gratitude can improve sleep, enhance relationships, promote health, increase happiness. Fox watched hundreds of hours of testimonies from Holocaust survivors recounting the generosity of fellow prisoners. And he turned those stories into what he called imagine if scenarios. We told them to study participants and then measured their brain responses with an fMRI, functional magnetic resonance imaging. And then on hearing the gratitude-inspiring stories, he saw that the participants' brains lit up in their medial prefrontal cortex, which is where um, relief, emotion regulation, stress relief are centered in the brain. And so these incredibly significant positive results in the human brain just from hearing about stories that inspired gratitude. Dr. Sean Aker, who's a former Harvard professor, founder of Good Think, um, author, top 10 TED talker, uh, he's shown that simply conditioning ourselves to practice gratitude through thoughtful emails or even journal entries changes the brain. Philippians 4, 8 reminds us of the importance of what we think on, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that we are to think about such things. And when we train ourselves to look for the good in others, the more readily we naturally see it. Conversely, when we train our minds to look for negative traits, we see those more readily. This concept, which is called confirmation bias, causes us to interpret all new evidence we're faced with through the lens of what we already believe. This bias, which is kind of like our pre-existing hypothesis, becomes a cycle that we're not able to break free from unless we change how we think and what we think about. Now, when we train ourselves to think about good things first, we train our minds to value the good. It's a principle of firsts. Now, that might seem insignificant in light of what we're talking about, but in fact, neuroscience research shows that ongoing acts of gratitude actually rewire our brain. The Greek word for transformation, metamorpho, we see in Romans 12 too, be transformed, metamorpho, by the renewing of your mind, is this visual example of a caterpillar undergoing the metamorphosis to becoming a butterfly. It's literally a reconditioning of our brains that totally transforms the way we think. Dr. Aker has also demonstrated that gratitude and intentional encouragement foster connectivity, which fuels oxytocin production. This makes for happier work, reduced stress, greater productivity, increased positive social interaction. Now, that's going to play a role in the next part, so hang in there with that. But when we live in this kind of consumer-oriented culture, we really have to focus on gratitude to turn the lens around. And when we start looking for the good in others, when we begin to value traits and characteristics that we may have previously overlooked or underutilized, that starts kind of a chain reaction in our brains and we become more naturally grateful. So an important first step to staying connected is actually a mental one. We need to make room in our mindsets for the connective power of gratitude. After we focus up, second, we need to check in. The check-in is a powerful tool to remain emotionally close from a social distance. How do we do this in the current COVID crisis? Well, I think we can learn a lot from leaders in the academic arena. 
I was blessed to be part of some undergrad and graduate school programs that were educational innovators from Thomas Edison State College, which was one of the first American colleges to embrace the adult learner, to Regent University, where I was part of the very first online cohort in graduate school, and then to Fielding Graduate University, which has been an absolute innovator in higher education. In fact, Fielding was one of the first models of modern distributed education in the United States, which connected students with faculty members from all over the world who are leaders and their industries and organizations through online discussions, calls, emails. These academic innovators brought the world of higher education to our living rooms while we taught classes, cared for young children, and worked in one industry while training for another. Here's what I learned that applies to our current situation. We have to be intentional about building and maintaining relationships, especially in the current socio-emotional climate, whether it's work relationships or friendships. We have to look for ways to reach out to those in our realm of influence. Call, text, email, just see how your people are doing, not just how they're doing at work, but how they're doing as human beings. And listen, if your kids are educating at home for the first time, relish the time with them. I've posted some tips on my blog page at drlisadunn.com for ideas on how to make the most of your time together, no matter the circumstances. Same applies here. Check in every day with your kids, not just for school, but for how they're doing as human beings, as part of your family. Create some structure, not so much structure that they can't be kids. They've had enough of that in other systems, but enough so that they can continue to learn and grow with healthy balance boundaries and goals. I'll be podcasting on developmental stages and expectations in the next season. So stay tuned for that. Be the encourager. This is that parakaleo moment. Remember that word? We talked about it a few episodes back. Hebrews 3.13 says we're to encourage one another daily. And encourage, parakaleo, means to invoke, to call near, to exhort. We can create trust and connectivity through positive interactions with others. We can encourage them through email, text, social media, hey, even through letters. (laughs) We have to be intentional and reach out to encourage others daily. Now we can do this because we see the big picture and still care about the small details. Leaders see the vision, the end of the tunnel. If you don't feel equipped in that regard right now, let me encourage you, get around some people who will challenge you, sharpen you, follow some winners, and then pass along that winning attitude to those in your teams. This is a time for creativity and innovation. Somebody posted the other day that out of the 2008 recession, the following companies were born, Uber, Airbnb, Pinterest, WhatsApp, Square, and Venmo. Come on, this is a time for us to get creative, not a time for us to shrink back. In the current COVID crisis, I think it's also very important that we keep an open line of communication with the Gen Zs in our realm of influence. We've talked in earlier episodes about the prevailing duck syndrome, Stanford University's term for a generation that feels overly stressed and anxious with their feet paddling wildly below the surface while at the same time they're trying to look calm, cool, and collected. It's really important for us to use discernment and listen between the lines when we're caring for those in our realm of influence who might be affected by that duck syndrome as well. The local churches in our area are doing such a phenomenal job of utilizing technology to stream services, create online prayer groups, care for the elderly, those who may be sheltering alone. I hope the same is true for you and your city. I know around us there are so many tremendous role models that we can be learning from right now. We want to be lifelong learners and soaking that information in and then replicating it in our own lives as well. 
It's easy to forget what an impact simple acts of kindness can make. You know, a few years ago, I was working with a professor at a large Ivy League school on a research project, and all of our communication took place virtually. When the project was finished, I really appreciated who he was and what he brought to the to the project. And so I wanted to send a little thank you. I sent him a special gift of tea from his home country, along with just a little simple handwritten note of appreciation for his work. And this colleague who had kind of heretofore been very quiet and reserved just gushed when he received the letter and the gift. And this is what he said to me. In this cold electronic world, it's remarkably refreshing when someone pauses to warm the heart with a thoughtful gift and a handwritten note of appreciation. You know, for the price of a stamp and a tin of tea, I added value to somebody's life. Our thoughtfulness can foster community and connectivity. We just need to be innovative in our approaches. And finally, after we focus up and check in, we need to shout out. If you've listened to my past podcasts, you know that I love the shout out. I call it reverse gossip. It's talking publicly about other people in a positive rather than disparaging way. Public praise means we promote, we encourage, we acknowledge the work of another person in front of supervisors, friends, family, or peers. And we can do that online too. Remember back to the first step, gratitude. At its core, public praise is rooted in an attitude of gratitude. In order to discover and believe the best in others, we need to foster an attitude of thankfulness about who they are and what they bring to the table. This might take some stretching, growing, and reflecting on our part, but we can do this. Corporate praise can be highly formal, it can be organized, it could be more flexible in nature. All of those methods are effective. Maybe you normally have an end of the quarter award ceremony where employees are recognized for their service to the company. Don't let the COVID crisis keep you from recognizing your team members for their spirit of excellence. Remember, this is not the time to go silent. Have coworkers vote on specific award categories through an online survey and then provide words of affirmation or small gifts of recognition and appreciation for service or character awards. Let people know they've been nominated by others so they're aware that somebody else noticed their work and their creativity or their innovative responses. Use social media as a way to highlight the talents of your team and inspire them to post this reverse gossip about one another too. That's what we call peer praise. Peer praise has been documented for its effectiveness within the context of ongoing professional relationships from the classroom to the boardroom. In fact, a recent study looked at the corporate atmosphere of JetBlue, which for 11 years was ranked by J.D. Powers as highest in consumer satisfaction among low-cost airlines. JetBlue's interpersonal success is attributed at least in part to what's called a peer-to-peer recognition program. Coworkers submit success stories of everyday contributions in the workplace, which are posted on an internal news feed every day. Recipients are given points they can redeem for prizes like dinners and gift cards, which creates this kind of positive feedback loop. The structured positivity and ongoing reward system has created a sense of value amongst workers. And again, this is something we can do in the online environment as well. Telling people's supervisors about an employee's good deeds is a huge put up for the person, of course, but it also sends a wave of gratitude through the leadership team, which carries a trickle down effect. Far more calls and emails are sent complaining about something that's wrong. Let's think about how corporate cultures would shift if we added more comments about what's going well. In order to create trust and connectivity through positive interactions, we need to think creatively, connecting with others in intentional positive interactions. Moreover, as we talked about in point one, we need to train our brains to look for the best in others. 
Whether it's at home or in an organization, we can focus up, check in, and shout out to help those in our realm of influence. And what results might we expect when we do this? What will happen when we create community from a distance? Do these collective rewards affect employee engagement? I think you know the answer. A study by Symantec found that social recognition directly increased employee engagement by 14%. Another study by Towers Watterson found that recognizing performance can increase employee engagement by up to 60%. In fact, that study found that when they compared the benefit of a small salary increase, a raise, versus a 5% investment in a rewards program, the rewards program increased retention, engagement, and creativity. Plus, it was 95% less expensive. Reward programs work. In fact, the Wall Street Journal put it this way. Quote, awards, recognition, and praise might just be the single most cost-effective way to maintain a happy, productive workforce. This is not a time to go screen silent, friends. Those in your realm of influence need you to be an active participant, not a spectator. When we offer sincere praise to another person, we do more than simply function as this kind of corporate cheerleader. We actually activate the reward center of the human brain. The neural reward center floods the brain with dopamine, a neurotransmitter that regulates movement, emotion, motivation, and pleasure. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. A study, uh, a Chinese study in 2012 found that people who showed more gratitude to others experienced less depression. In fact, the correlation was pretty clear. The more gratitude people expressed, the less depression they experienced. That is a good harvest for those in our realm of influence. Of course, social media has its downfalls, but let's remember that it does foster that level of connectivity, especially in already existing relationships, and it does induce that dopamine rush. Getting likes on social media activates the same brain circuits that are impacted when we eat chocolate or win something. Social interactions, whether in person or online, can provide socio-emotional benefits. Dharmashi, a cognitive neuroscientist at Michigan State University, put it this way, quote, we are hardwired to find social interactions rewarding. As leaders and influencers, we can use social media interactions to positively influence the reward system of our friends' and colleagues' brains. If you feel like you don't know where to begin with your organization, maybe you want to think about undergoing a communication audit where communication professionals talk with focus groups in your organization and assess and address your needs, helping you develop a 360 view of some of the communication challenges in your organization. If you want to know more about that kind of support, DM me or contact me through my website and I'll be happy to talk with you. If you find it difficult to think optimistically, I want to encourage you to consider keeping a gratitude journal to help you develop your thankfulness muscle. Search actively, train your mind to contemplate that list we talked about in Philippians 4.8 earlier and reflect on your own life and some of the ways that you personally have changed, hopefully for the better, over the years. You know, reminding yourself of your own propensity for change can help stir up your faith to help you believe for somebody else's ability as well. I started a professional kind of professorial gratitude list for the COVID crisis because I knew good was eventually going to come out of the situation. The list ranged in content from the fact that my daily commute time had been reduced from 60 minutes to 60 seconds to the fact that I can now teach class in fuzzy socks. I can bring my dogs to class. I can even control the classroom temperature. That doesn't happen often. And in addition, I noted that my students are so bored that they're actually reading their emails now. And out of sheer boredom for reading their emails, they're actually now reading their textbooks. 
I know it's a little silly, but try it and challenge yourself to make a list of things you're grateful for right now. Challenge yourself to make a list of ways that you could begin implementing a system that would awaken that sense of gratitude and communication, value, encouragement within your organizational or even your family culture. This time of renewal and refocus is tremendously beneficial for personal growth. Remember, humans need times of connection and times of reflection for optimal development. Now we're accustomed to the constant connection. Now we just have to press in to that time of reflection during the season. It's a new normal for many of us, at least for a while. But even when the COVID crisis is over and we return to -to face-to-face connections outside of our current confinements, these are strategies we can continue to implement in order to increase value in others, whether we're side-by-side or at a social distance. And who knows, in addition to the curve-flattening goals of COVID-19, maybe we'll see an upsurge of gratitude, of rest, of appreciation, of value. Hey, maybe even a resurgence of letter writing. I hope you'll embrace this season as one with great potential, great hope for individual and collective change for the better. As the poet Alice Walker once said, we can find our deepest rest and our most meaningful service at home. Whether you're just across the neighborhood or whether you're bridging a 4,426 mile distance from Miami to England, let's be the virtual voice of hope, reason, and encouragement to those in our realms of influence. In doing so, we can work together to bridge the chasm and remain emotionally close, even from a social distance. Thanks again for joining us here on The Communication Architect. If you have questions about today's episode or if there are other communication-related topics you'd like to see us address, send your comments via Instagram to at Dunn or via email to communicationarchitect at drlisadunn.com. Don't miss the next episode where we'll continue unpacking some of our practical research from the book, Multi-Generational Marketplace, to give you a step-by-step process of core communication competencies that will take your leadership to the next level. Break free of friction, frustration, and fault-finding in both the organizational and interpersonal communication realms. Remember, strategic communication will help you build greater emotional health and relational resilience. So don't miss the next episode. Until then, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and I look forward to talking with you next time right here on The Communication Architect. Thank you.